Now, we are in week two uh, of this series called Joy. If you remember last week, Pastor Rodney brought a great word called gritty joy. Gritty joy. And he was talking about King David. And it hit me so uh, in this way that I was just like, man, I got to talk about David too. Uh, Absolutely love David. If you know David, he's um, king in the Old Testament. Uh, He's a worshiper. He's, He's a pretty amazing character uh, and has, has been through a lot of ups and downs. So we're going to look at a story about David's life. Um, and I was trying to think of what I should call my, my sermon, my message. And, and just to be honest with you, I'm not the best. If I'm, not, I'm actually not really good at naming sermons, like titling sermons. So I actually came up with two of them, and I couldn't pick, and I actually went with both. Okay, and so I'm going to give you both of them so you can track along with me. The first one is the joy of the offering. The joy of the offering. And the second title is The Tale of a Thirsty King. The Tale of a Thirsty King. And uh, if you know me, you know I have two sons. Uh, one is Charles, we call him Charlie, and the other one's Louis, we call him Louie. Uh, and one of my coworkers, his name is J.C. Chapel. he sits next to me in the office. He likes to joke that I've named both my sons after French monarchs, King Charles and King Louis. And in a lot of ways, they are a little bit like little tyrants. Uh, they do rule our house at times. Uh, in fact, I actually have a picture for you. Can I show you? Uh, this is Charlie. And behind him, I was actually trying to take a picture of Louie behind him. Charlie just jumped in. Uh, and then this is Louie. Let me show you Louie. That's Louie. And Louie is an absolute chunk. Like, look, he's got all sorts of rolls. and He loves to eat. And if you can think of a thirsty king, that's why I thought of him, because he is definitely a thirsty little king. He wants his milk all the time, right? There is not a time that he's not willing to eat. And so when I think of him as our thirsty king, I know this about him, is that if he doesn't get his milk when he wants it, he'll let you know. See, Louis can very easily go from Louis to Lucifer. (laughs) Real quick. And I hope he gets over that, because I don't want that nickname to stick, okay? But we're going to talk about David, and this is actually a really interesting story uh, in the Old Testament. It comes at the very end of the story about David uh, in 2 Samuel. And, and as we look at this story, it's, it's actually a story about David's mighty men. Uh, and so let's just go right there, 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to look at verse 13 down. This is what it says. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Now, I need you to know this about David, is that David, if you look at his story, he started off with the worst of the worst men who were following him. He had the roughest people, the people that no one wanted, the outcast society, those were the people that initially started following David. And he ended up as a leader with mighty men. And I think there's a leadership lesson just in that. But that's who was following David. And so you find him in the middle of a battle or about to go into a battle. And and some people wonder if this is a story about David when he's on the run, uh, running from Saul, living in the caves, or if he's, this is a story of David's already a king. I tend to think it's, he's already the king in this story. Verse 14, David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. 
Now, Bethlehem is David's hometown. This is where he grew up. And so you got to imagine David is just sitting there. It's a hot season, and he's parched, he's thirsty, and he's just sitting there thinking, man, wouldn't it be nice if I can just get a cup of water, nice cold water drawn from that well in my hometown? Wouldn't that be real nice? I can go for one of those right now. That's what David is doing. He's just reminiscing. And he's thinking about his childhood, where he grew up. I don't know if you've ever, you know, ever as an adult thought back of me, but that was so good when I was a kid. You ever had one of those? Like I remember a, a buddy of mine and, and a few of us guys, we, we actually took a trip to Alabama. And uh, he grew up in Alabama. He was telling us about this burger place that he used to love when he was a kid. He's got the best burgers, best sweet tea. We got to stop by there. So we decided, you know, we'll go stop and eat at this place. I, I totally forgot the name of the spot. And so we go, we go through the drive-thru. We get the burger he says we should get. And we get the sweet tea and all of this. And we eat it. And none of us have the heart to tell him this is the worst food we've ever eaten. <laughs> it's bad. It's real bad, and he realizes it's bad when later that night we're all going up to his door to use his bathroom one at a time. <laughs> but you've ever had those moments where you're like, man, that was so good when I was a kid. I think David's just reminiscing, man, it was so good when I used to get that water. I could just use that right now. Verse 16, then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew the water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. Can you see what these guys are doing? They hear David just reminiscing. He's just telling about the water he grew up with. And they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out there. We're going to get that water for our king. Now, David didn't order them. He didn't command them. He didn't say, hey, guys, I need you to go get me this water. He did not do that. They simply overhear their king reminiscing, and they say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go do this for our king. We're going to go get that water. And they go, and they literally cut through a whole regiment of soldiers. This is like SEAL Team 6 level stuff. Right? They are breaking through enemy lines just to draw water from a well. And they bring it back to their king. And what does David, what does the king do? But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. Now, I remember I was reading this passage with my wife earlier this week. And she hears that part and she's like, man, David is such a dirtbag. I was talking to Pastor Rodney about it earlier. So he's like, man, I would have just about slapped David. Right? They, these men risked their lives. They went through all this trouble just to get him the water that he wanted. And right when he gets it, instead of drinking it, he pours it out. What's going on? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord that I should do this, shall I drink the blood of the men? Now, this water in David's eyes is now blood. The blood of the men who went, to risk, who went at the risk of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. What's David doing? David is recognizing the sacrifice of his men. He's seeing what they did. 
And he's the kind of leader where even though he's in position to take advantage of their sacrifice and what they're willing to lay down, he is not the kind of king to exploit his men, to take advantage of what they're willing to do. David is the kind of king that says, you know what, if you're willing to make a sacrifice, then so am I. If you're willing to lay down your life, so am I. If you're willing to give it all up, so am I. And he pours it out as an offering to the Lord. David is teaching us, and his men are teaching us something about making an offering. See, an offering is not what you give because you have to. It's what you give because you want to. It's not what you give because you have to. It's what you give because you want to. You're choosing to give. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Giving sometimes involves risk. Not all the time, but sometimes involves risk. If you look at these men, and they risk their life. They put their own life in harm's way in order to just cross over, battle through enemy soldiers, get to a well, draw out water, and bring it back to their king. They're risking their life. And they're willing to do it. Why? Because they love their king. Because they love their king, they're willing to risk it all. I think about this year, uh, we, I don't know if you heard about this, but we had this thing called COVID happen. And uh, towards the beginning of the year, uh, we were asked by our city officials and leaders in our state uh, as, as a church to close on-site gatherings and to meet online. And so what we did, we shifted everything to online and we're gathering online. And then finally, when it came to that period where we're, the restrictions were lifted and we we're able to come back on site, we had some tough decisions to make on how do we open up. We had to decide, hey, how do we open up kids' ministry and student ministry and reach young people? And I sat down with our kids' pastor and our student pastor, Candy Jones, our kids, and Pastor Christian in student ministry. And I'm talking with them and I say, listen, this is what we want to do. We want to open up, uh, but you guys are on the forefront here. Tell me what you want to do. And without missing a beat, both of them says, we want to open up. And I said, okay, why? And so we listed out the reasons. We talked about, hey, you know, we only have kids and students here for maybe an hour, hour and a half at a time. We're not like schools keeping them for eight hours. And so we can provide a safe environment for a short amount of time. It's a controlled environment. We can control everything that comes into this building. When kids leave rooms, we can sanitize and move toys and all that kind of stuff. We can keep our volunteers in masks and do health checks and all that kind of stuff. And we were listing out all the reasons why we could do this. And then finally, Pastor Christian looks at me and he tells me this. He says, you know, I've been talking to families and I've been talking to students. And what I keep hearing over and over and over again is these young people saying they're lonely. They're isolated. They don't have community. Their whole life is disrupted. And they have no social outlet. And the only outlet they have is online. And that's not particularly healthy all the time. And he says, Pastor says, we have to open up because they need us. They need community. And so we said, okay, we're going to open up. And we said, we said, hey, how do we expect our volunteers to show up for this thing? Because I don't know if you know this, but North Church is not a COVID-free zone. 
Like, we don't have some sort of magic bullet for this thing. But what we do know is that when we put out the call and we say, hey, volunteers, would you be willing to come back? And would you be willing to take a risk to help care for young children and students and create the opportunity for families to, to be able to worship? And they just came back in droves. They kept coming. Not because they love Pastor Christian or Candy or they love Pastor Rodney. No, I believe because they love their king. They love King Jesus. And they're saying, you know what the risk is? We see it and we're going to be smart about it, but we're going to put our love for our king above what we're comfortable with. And we're willing to take a risk. Let me ask you, what are you willing to risk? What risks are you willing to take? For some of us, that risk is simply risking our comfort in order to do what we're supposed to do for Jesus. It could be as simple as talking to somebody about Jesus. What is the risk we're willing to take for Jesus? Here's number two. Giving always brings joy. Giving always brings joy. And you know what I've learned about joy is that sometimes... Not everybody gets it. Not everybody understands when you give the joy that you get. I think sometimes only the giver gets it. Only the person making the gift, only person giving understands the joy that they get. See, you got to think about it. All, all of David's mighty men, it's just these three that broke through the lines and risked their life. And I'm sure some of those others were wondering why these people would risk everything just to bring back a bottle of water. Or why David would be as crazy after they risked their life to just pour out the water as an offering. Sometimes we on the outside, on the fringe, don't understand why other people give what they give. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad's a chef growing up, and uh, he had a couple of restaurants. And as a kid, you know, we didn't really have childcare over the summers. Childcare was going to the restaurant. And so we'd spend all summer in the back of the restaurant, bored out of our minds. And we'd sit there so bored that eventually we found ourselves working the floor of the restaurant because we had nothing better to do. And I remember I would pretend like I was a waiter and I'd serve people. And, um, you know, I would, I would notice that people, when they leave after they finish their meal, they leave like money on the table. That was tip for the wait staff. I would go and I'd pick all that stuff up. And then me and my sister, we would fight over who gets to run the cash register. Now that I think about this and I'm saying this out loud, I think I could see why the restaurant didn't work out. <laughs> it was being run by children. And I, I remember by the end of it, we didn't have a wait staff. We didn't have customers. It was really, really bad. And I remember one day in the summer, we'd spend all day at the restaurant. No one had come in that day. No one. And right around closing time, this family walks in. There are only customers of the day, and we're about to close. And so we're like, you know what? We're going to treat these people like kings. And so we go out there. I do my best impersonation. I say, how may I help you, sir? And my sister brings out the food, and we are talking with them. We're laughing with them. My, my dad even comes out, and we're talking. We spent hours. I mean, we should have closed hours ago. We spent hours hanging out with these people. And then finally, my sister walks over with the bill, and she puts the bill down. We quickly realize 
they can't pay. And my dad, before they have the opportunity to be embarrassed, my dad picks up the bill and says, you know what, this is on us, you guys play next time. And around the car ride home, I was so mad. So mad. And I just remember saying, why did we waste all this time? We could have already been home. We wasted all this time serving these people, bringing them food, talking to them, and they didn't even pay. And my sister was like, well, at least they got to eat. And I said, I don't care. (laughs) Who cares if they got to eat? I want to be home. I remember my dad was quiet the whole conversation until I said, who cares? And my dad perks up and he speaks and he says, Samson, you say you don't care if they eat. I care. See, as a nine-year-old in that situation, I'm not the giver. I didn't sacrifice anything. It's not my restaurant. There's a joy that only my dad could understand as the giver. There's gonna be times that you give and people don't understand why you're doing it. Sometimes even the people that you're giving to don't understand. They may say, hey, while the, you know, electricity's out, why you would give away your generator or why you would go move tree limbs from people's yards, why you would do that. Your neighbor might not even understand why you do that or why you choose to bring a meal over, why you used to care for people. They may not understand why. But the point is not that they understand. The point is that the joy is only gotten by you. Only you will get that. Sometimes only you will understand the joy that happens when you give. For those of you guys who have parents, you can actually test this out. Here in a few weeks, when Christmas rolls around and your kids are opening up their presents, I want you to just take in that moment. Think about the joy that's filling your heart as they're opening up and they're so excited. And I want you to take for a moment and just ask yourself, do I remember what I got when I was their age and I opened up that gift? And which of these two memories am I gonna remember for the rest of my life? What I opened up as a kid or what they opened up as my kid? Jesus says there's so much more happiness in giving than in receiving. And that joy sometimes only you get. Here's number three. Number three is this giving will always come at a cost. Giving will always come at a cost. You know, if I I give you this bottle of water, guess what I don't have? A bottle of water, (laughs) yeah. I got two kidneys, I don't know. Some of you may have three, but I got two of them. If I gave you one, how many do I have? Just the one. When you give, there is a cost that you incur. You give something, guess what? You don't have it anymore because you gave it away. That's how that works. And Jesus invites us, even when we choose to follow him and give our lives to him, Jesus invites us to say, you know what? You should sit down and count the costs. He says there's no person who would sit sit down to to build a tower who wouldn't first make sure and count the costs and see if they have enough. There's no king that wouldn't sit down first before going into battle and measure if if with 10,000 they can take out 20. Jesus tells us, count the cost. But that same Jesus who tells us to count the cost also tells us this, that everybody who's left house and home and family in order to follow me will receive so much more in this life and in the world to come because they chose to follow me. When you count the cost, 
account for him. Pastor said this quote a few weeks ago, and it's, I can't get it out of my mind. Jim Elliott, who says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When you give it to God, it's amazing. It's amazing how he makes it work. You know, this, this last week, we graduated from our financial peace class. We graduated 40 people. Can you celebrate that for a moment? One of the ladies in our class, her name is Bobby Ann, and she's absolutely just the sweetest lady. She works extremely hard. She works 50, 60 hours at Chick-fil-A each week. She doesn't have a lot, but what she has, she's committed to make it work and to work extremely hard. And I remember at the end of the class, I, I was talking to Bobby, and I just said, Bobby, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the hard work that you've put in. Because if anybody had an excuse to miss a week or to not participate, it's you. You had so much on your plate. But every week you were faithful, week in, week out. And I remember she told me, she said, Pastor Samson, actually this year, the beginning of 2020, I made a commitment that I was gonna start tithing for the first time in my life. And she said, I, I looked at the numbers now and I looked at 2019 and I looked at 2020. She's like, I just don't understand it sometimes because it's not that I'm making so much more this year than that year, but somehow week after week, month after month, God is making it work over and over and over again. He continues to provide. And you may think, okay, so that's the moral of the story. If I give and I'll be taken care of financially, moral of the story. I wanna tell you there's actually more to the story. Because as Bobby Ann tells me this, what lights her up is not telling about how God met her finances, but how she got to sit down with her adult daughter and for the first time in her life, authoritatively tell her how she is giving, how she is pursuing financial freedom and outlining for her daughter how she can do the same. See, Bobby Ann is changing her family tree. She's changing the trajectory of her family's life. That's the reward. Sometimes when you're counting the cost, we forget to account for Jesus in all the ways that he blesses and takes care of those who follow him. And it's not always these little material things. Sometimes it's things that are way more important, way more lasting, and way more eternal. And we looked at the story, this tale of a thirsty king. And you know what I find interesting about this story is that David starts off this story thirsty. He's hot, he's parched, and he's reminiscing about just having a cup of water like he used to when he was a kid, back when it was simple. And his men risk everything, risk their life just to bring it this cup of water. And David, when he has the opportunity to finally quench his thirst, to finally be satiated, instead of taking a drink, David pours out the water 
as an offering to the Lord. David starts off our story as a thirsty king and he ends our story as a thirsty king. But in it, he teaches what an offering looks like. You know, we too have a thirsty king. See, Jesus, who is the source of eternal life, in whom, through whom, rivers of living water flow, that same Jesus, when it came to the end of his life, when he's hanging between two thieves, had given everything, had poured out every last drop of himself for you and for me. And the very last thing that he says is, I thirst. Because he had been poured out. He gave every last drop. He didn't hold it back. He didn't hold it back. Because he saw you. Because he saw you. And he said, for you, I'll pour myself out. Aaron, I'll pour myself out for Aaron. I'll pour myself out for Jesus. I'll pour myself out for Samson. He gave every last ounce till he had nothing more to give. Coincidentally, if you're on our reading plan today, that's our verse. That's our chapter. Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. Our king ended that moment, his life, thirsty. Not because he had to. In that moment, he could have called a legion of angels. In that moment, he could have stepped off that cross. He could have walked away whole. He could have walked away way before all of that. But he saw you and me. And he chose to make an offering. To offer his life. For ours. Some of you here. And you're feeling the weight of 2020. You're feeling the pain. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's family. Some of you, you won't even get to spend family, spend time with family this week. And it's weighing on you. Can I tell you, you have a source, a savior that gave himself for you. And he is willing to pour himself out for you, to give you hope, to give you peace in the middle of this crazy storm. And then there's some of you and you need to lay your life down to him. And you may say, why? I think the best reason is this, that Jesus laid his life down for you. You could trust him. You can count on him as you're counting the costs of following him. Can I pray for you? Father, right now, right now I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, they're going through a storm. They're going through a hard time. They would reflect on their king, who he is and what he gave. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for those who know they need to offer themselves. Maybe it's at a deeper level. 
Lord, in terms of their commitment to follow you or their family or their finances or wherever. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would take that step to offer themselves to you. And I pray specifically for those, Lord, who need to follow you with their whole life. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to take the first step today to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.